you know how they show those video montages like at a, a wedding or whatever, and uh, some of you are like, oh my goodness, was this ever going to be over? Like, I'm one of those people that I just love it. I don't, if I don't even know really well the family, I'm still like tearing up as the music is, you know, behind it. It's like, oh, how cute. And the reason I bring that up is because that's how I feel every time I watch that little video. I feel like a proud dad that's uh, looking at his, his, his family that he's a part of and seeing um, you guys with smiles and working together, um, you know, I love my church. And uh, most of you already know that um, a few weeks ago, the, the Bethlehem Church family decided that we're going to sell this building and sell this property um, and move to Lakeville North High School, their auditorium, as a temporary place on the weekends, um, starting at the beginning of October, more than likely. And uh, this is not something that just kind of happened out of the blue. Um, about six, seven years ago, the Bethlehem Church family made a decision that instead of uh, adding on to this building, that we felt like three acres was not going to be enough uh, space uh, to support our ministry. And so we, we purchased land about seven years ago. And um, even though this is part of a bigger plan, um, that's been going on for a while, I'll, I'll have to admit that, like, I have mixed feelings about this a little bit. Um, not mixed feelings as to whether it's the right decision or not. I know it's right, but mixed feelings like, I'm going to miss this place. Um, put a lot of uh, blood, sweat, and tears into to, to building, I mean, this place. Uh, there is a lot of building team meetings I went to in order for this to happen. And not just me, but a bunch of other people too. I gave a, a lot of time and so did many of you who are gathered here today. And so I, I'm going to miss, I'm going to miss this place. I uh, get used to this place. I like this place, but there's the difference. I like this place, but I love my church. I like this building, this property, but I love my church. And there is a difference there. And some of you are like, what's the difference? You're saying the same thing twice, but changing like and love. The difference is, and the thing we need to remember is that the church is not a place that you guys, we together are the church. And whether we're here or there or in the new facility, hopefully soon, we're the church. And what we've been doing in this two-week little summer emphasis on loving our church is taking a look at, well, basically two main things. We're, we're hoping to have clarification and inspiration. Clarification and inspiration. So two weeks gives us two opportunities to kind of clarify two things that we really think biblically are really important about who we are and why we've come together as a church. And then inspiration to inspire us to keep doing those things and to, in some cases, to do them even better. Because here's the thing. The things I most appreciate about you, the things I most love about my church, they're not the things that happen naturally or easily. Think about that in your own life. The things you really love about a person are the things usually that take a little bit of work and effort on their part. The things we really love about this church, I do at least, are things that need to make sure that our compass is continually pointed at those things. And so I hope that happens. Last week, uh, Pastor Matt 
talked about a key word and emotion that really is ingrained in who we are. And honestly, in, in Christ's church, it should be across the world. And that word is empathy. It's this idea that I'm going to take time to think about where someone else is at before I start to, to, to tell them stuff, to think about what their background is. You see, the truth is that a lot of time churches and a lot of time Christians are not really good at this because we know what people need to know. At the end of the day, they need to know that Jesus is their Savior. And sometimes what happens is in our, in our sharing that, we forget that every person is different. And they come from different backgrounds and have different baggage and are different points in their faith journey. And so, as Pastor Matt said last week, we've tried to just push empathy like dough into all of the areas of our, of our ministry. And quite honestly, if you've ever come to talk with me about something going on in your life, you know what I applied in that moment? Empathy. We first listen so you've been a product of empathy while also hopefully a giver of it as well. Now, this week, I'm going to share something else that I really love about my church. Uh, but before that, I, I just want to share something that is in all of us um, that we all desire in one way or another. And, um, and then I'm going to tell you how I see it in our church. But just to kind of start with our first fill-in for today, um, I believe that we all have the desire to be great. Now, some of you might be pushing back on this, and so let me clarify what I mean by great, because some of you don't have competition in your five strengths like I do, okay? And, and so some of us are more wired to, to win, but that's not what I'm talking about. We all have the desire to be great in the sense that there is probably not a person in this room that doesn't want their time on earth to matter. Like, what we don't want is to get to the end of our lives and look back and think, you know what, I really did nothing that helped anybody. That my life really had no significance to it at all. We, are, we all have this desire in us. It might even be God-given, I think. You know, this desire to make an impact, this desire to be... Signif to have a significance, whether it's even just in our family or in the, the world at large. And in that sense, we all have the desire to be great. But, but here's the question that I want you to wrestle with. How do you know if you're hitting the mark? Through what filter do you use to determine whether you're living a great life or not, or making an impact, or whether you're significant? It's interesting that since I've become a pastor, there is an entire new way for all of us, including pastors, that we tend to find our significance. And um, especially maybe talking with our, our young people about this, but so often the filter we use is social media. That how big we are on social media or how many likes we have on something that we've posted tends to have an effect um, on how we feel. I, I've seen this happen in my home more than once, where someone, one of the kids, go unnamed, not here today, will post something, and like within 30 seconds, if it's 
not tracking, you know, or whatever, like all of a sudden her mood's different. And she's not overcome by it, but it's like, what the heck is going on with you? And it's like, well, blah, 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 there's only this many, you know, likes and all. So, you know, every day we go onto social media and desire to be great, here's the scoreboard. They're like, they, they keep track for you. How many friends you have? How many likes you get? How many subs you got on your YouTube channel? Like, I didn't know what that meant. I thought when Elias was wanting subs for his channel, like he was like binging on, you know, sandwiches. Like, I need a bunch of subs. Oh, by the way, Neighbor Larius is his YouTube channel. So anyway, um, subscribers to your YouTube channel. How many views you get um, on something you, a video you posted. Um, how many followers you have on Instagram. And like Snapchat is, is the most obvious of all. See this? You can't see the number, but you see the arrow. There's a little number here. And you know what they call that in Snapchat world? It's your score. Basically, how it's like a combination of how many Snapchats you give and receive. I don't even know I'm saying that right, but uh, it, it tells you how great you are. So if you want to know how great you are, one thing you can do is just go to all your social media accounts and it will tell you. I need to talk to young people for a moment. Your significance is not tied to a number on your computer. I don't care how many likes compared to your friends you have or don't have. It is not even a, a, a smidge of your significance. And here's the other thing. If, if you're finding that as you use some of these things that your feelings about yourself tend to be negative because of these little numbers, probably the best thing you can do is get away from it for a while. Maybe for good. Because your significance is not tied to this number. I know you. The Lord has made you wonderfully, no matter how many friends you got. Adults, let me talk to you for a second. All that I just said, you too. <laughs> I mean, so you posted something and no one liked it. Just tell me, I'll like it for you. But who cares? Who cares? Your significance is not tied to some number on the screen. And some of you are like, yeah, I know. All these people, they care about that stuff. I certainly don't. Well, your scoreboard's just different. It may not be that, but you have a different scoreboard. It's the amount of praise you get from your boss at work that either makes you feel more significant or less significant. Or it's the award you received at the end of the, the football season or the baseball season or the award you received at the end of the fourth quarter because you, you passed expectations. Or it's, the, it's the, the words you receive from your kids telling you, Mom, I would be nothing without you because you get that all the time, right? <laughs> you know, in some ways... Receiving praise isn't a bad thing. In fact, a little later, I'm going to praise some people. But where we get into trouble is whether our significance or our feelings of greatness are related or are connected to how much praise or not praise we receive, how many likes or how many likes we don't receive. I think if I could sort of summarize all of this with an illustration— that oftentimes the, the way that we naturally 
And, and some of us wouldn't even agree with this as far as like we know it's wrong, but I'm just saying naturally this is what we tend to lean towards is that we tend to find our significance by the amount of light that is shown on me. And again, you, you intuitively know that there's something not right about that, and yet we tend to continually fall into that trap, don't we? That our significance is found in how much light is shown on me. I think that connects with our next fill-in. We think greatness is found when the light is shown on me. And so whether it's how many followers or friends or how much praise we receive, it, it can play with our emotions and our feelings of whether we're making an impact or, or, or having a significant life. Now, you know that the amount of light shown on someone doesn't necessarily connect with how great they are. Because you know some famous people, you don't know them, but you, you kind of you know of them, that have a whole lot of light shown on them. But if you were to be asked, are they a great person? At least from what you know of them from the news, you'd, you'd have to say, they're not, they might be popular, but they're not great. They might have a lot of notoriety, but because of their attitude or because of their past or because of the way they interact with people, they're not great people. Wouldn't it be great to have a definition of what it looks like to be great? Because it's in you to want to live a significant life. It's in you to want to, to make an impact. So what is the filter that we should be using? Well, the 12 disciples, Jesus' 12 best friends while he was on earth, they, they needed some help with this as well. You see, they had some arguments about being uh, great and who's great. And you know what Jesus did? He made them all cancel their Facebook accounts. No, that's not what he did. He gathered them together and he taught them about the real definition of greatness. So in the context of our section, um, Jesus is getting towards the end of his ministry. If you recall, he preached and taught for about three years from ages 30 to 33. So he's probably about 32. His disciples have gotten to know him pretty well already. They've been traveling around the area around the Sea of Galilee. And um, they, they stop at a town called Capernaum, which was a town they went to quite a bit. Um, it actually happens to be Peter's hometown, and they would often stay at Peter's home in Capernaum. That's where we think they are when it mentions them being in a home in Mark chapter 9. It reads, They came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, when Jesus was in the house, he asked the disciples, the twelve, what were you arguing about when we were traveling on the road? And the first thing we see in this sentence is that family fights on long road trips are something that happened even in ancient times. Okay? Like, will you cut that out back there? Like, Jesus didn't say it while they were traveling. He, he waited until they got to the house, and then it was his turn to talk about what was going on in the car, so to speak. So he, he, he gathers them together, and he asks them a question, not because he didn't know what they were arguing about. He asked them a question because when you ask someone a question, you get, you get their attention and allowed him to better teach them. Verse 34. What were you arguing about? They kept quiet because they were embarrassed, because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Now, you, 
got to be some pretty pompous people to be like, just, hey, who's the greatest? I'm the greatest. No, Ben, you're the greatest. No, this Ben's the greatest, you know? And I mean, that's just a weird conversation to have. But I think if you look at all of chapter 9 of Mark, there's a little bit of context that might help a little bit. So at the beginning of chapter 9, Jesus invites what we understand as being his closest disciples Peter, James, and John with him to the top of a high hill. And on the top of that high hill, Jesus gave them, these three guys, a very special opportunity to see a little bit of his glory, Jesus' glory as God. And and what's recorded is that Jesus shone like lightning, his face, his clothes. Like it was a symbolism of the glory of Jesus as being God. And then it got better. Jesus allowed Peter, James, and John to meet two of their Old Testament heroes of the faith. Like, they actually saw them. Their names were Moses and Elijah. And this was, this was literally a mountaintop day, okay? And then before they went down the hill, Jesus said, Oh, by the way, guys, don't tell anybody what you saw. So, like, if you're one of the nine... Like, we, we'd like to be one of the three. But if you're one of the nine that weren't invited and the three come back down, like, what's the first question you're asking them? So how was it up there? What'd you do? What'd you see? And what did they have to say? Well, we can't tell you. Jesus told us not to tell you. Now, we don't have this specific interaction going on together, but as I was reading through the chapter, I couldn't help but see some tension created because... They got to see this thing that the other nine couldn't, and they couldn't tell anybody. And maybe even Peter, James, and John were kind of rubbing it in. Like a conversation of great came up, and they're like, well, you didn't get to go to the top of the hill, and I did. Oh, and I can't tell you what we saw. (laughs) I mean, they were sinful people. This probably caused tension. And for whatever reason, there was this discussion about who was the greatest. Next verse. Sitting down, Jesus gathers them together. He called the twelve and said, anyone who wants to be first, or in the context of our vernacular today, whoever wants to be the greatest, whoever wants to be the best, whoever wants to be first in my eyes must be. And I'm going to pause right there because I want you to notice, first of all, what Jesus didn't say. He didn't say, whoever wants to be first must change their attitude and not be concerned about being great. Whoever wants to be first must just stop talking about it because God doesn't care at all about the significance that you have in your life. No, there's something coming after this. Jesus wanted his disciples to understand that there is a way to live a a great-in-God's-eye life, that there is an answer to this argument. And maybe that's what you need to hear today, that God does desire for you to live a significant life. He does want you to make a difference. Now, we, we need to be careful because so quickly... When we think of greatness, as we've talked already about, it's so easily we, we start to, to veer into self-absorption or self-centeredness and, and all the things that come with getting that light shown on me a little bit more. A lot of times the word is success, right? So we need to be careful because quickly this pursuit 
tends to veer into self-centeredness and to sin. But, but the desire to be great, you know what Jesus said? That's great. It's great to be great. I want you to live great lives, impactful lives. And then he continues, anyone who wants to be great, who wants to be first, must be last. They must be a servant, a servant of all. Now, I have to admit that when I read this and his answer, there's something in me that's at first a little bit deflating. And, and what I mean by that is it almost sounds like one of those Bible things that you're supposed to follow because it's in the Bible, but yet it's like, you know, when the Bible talks about not everything making sense, like this is one of those things. You know, that's just kind of how it hits my heart sometimes. Like really? Like the, the picture of greatness is, is being last, being a servant? Like I, I know I need to believe that, but I don't know if I want to. Well, then I thought about it a little bit more. And I asked myself a question that I want you to ask yourself. Besides Jesus, who's the, in the terms that we've been talking and through this lens, who's the greatest person you know? Who's the, the greatest person you've met? Two of the people that come to my mind right away, and maybe it's similar for you, are my mom and my dad. And they're not famous, and they're not rich. And popularity, well, I looked it up, and I have more Facebook friends than both of them combined. So using that lens, not as popular as me. So in the world's eyes, they may not be great, but why do they come to my mind? Because I don't know two people that have been more selfless in their lives when it comes to service to their Lord and service to the church than, than my mom and my dad. And they're, they're great people. I'd name them right away. Why? Because of their servitude. Because they're servants. I think even though we might initially push back on this, we know in, the, we know in our hearts that this is, this is really true. And to use the illustration with this lamp, we tend to fall into thinking that greatness is found when the light is shown on me. But that what Jesus was teaching is that true greatness is found when the light is shown through me and into others, and to other people's lives. Greatness is found not in success, although that's fine, but greatness is found in service. Greatness is not found in the praise you receive, although it's, it's awesome to receive praise, but greatness is found in the praise that you allow others to, to feel. Greatness is not found in, in what you get, Jesus says the greatness is found in what you help other people get. Greatness is found not in people who are famous, necessarily. Greatness is found in regular people like me and like, can I call you regular people? I mean, you're great regular people, but regular people like you and like me. And quite honestly, 
this light that is shown through us to others is also not something that we can kind (laughs) of come up with on our own. Because there's plenty of days that, I mean, I can't manufacture light. But instead, it is most found in people who have been given the light that is the light of Christ. I like country. (laughs) It's all right. We didn't have a slide that said, put your cell phones on mute. So it's totally my fault. You know, there was a few days later when the disciples were arguing about this same exact topic of greatness because they just didn't get it. And, and I want to read, I think we have our next fill-in first. Greatness is found when the light is shown through me and on to others. Through me and on to others. Mark chapter 10, um, disciples in the same sort of argument, they, they haven't gotten it yet. And Jesus says, whoever wants to become great among you, must be, as we talked about, a servant. And whoever wants to be first should aim to be a slave. And then he says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but instead he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. If there was anybody who ever walked this earth that was deserving of praise all the time and would have been totally right in requiring it, it would have been Jesus. And yet he gave up all of that praise. You know, you think about his whole life. Like the word that comes to me is humble servitude. Born in a stable. Born to poor parents. Hardly anyone even knew he was born. And throughout his entire life, Poor family, not a lot. He said in, in a one, one instance that even Jesus does, the Son of Man does not have a place to, to lay his head. He didn't have a home because it wasn't about building himself up. He had 33 years, and you know how he was going to use it? To serve you and me. And so the cross is the ultimate example of a servant serving the world as he died for people like you and me who so often get it wrong, but yet in God's eyes are 100% right because of Jesus' holiness has been transferred to us through his death and through his resurrection. It's his light that shines through you. It's his light that shines through me, and we're just like little reflectors that can serve like he, well, in a way like he served us. So whether you're a regular attender here at Bethlehem or not, I've given you some stuff to think about. And you can now just tune out the rest of this. (laughs) But for those of you who attend Bethlehem regularly, um, I have some, I guess, specific application for us. Um, Here's here's a verse from Ephesians 4 that, that pastor named Paul wrote. He said, Christ himself gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. These are all in our vernacular like church workers, okay? He gave pastors to equip Jesus' people for works of, and there's the word service, huh? That, that one of the main things that God has given you a church and a, and a pastor or pastors for is to equip you to serve. To equip you to to be great, 
And I was thinking about that a little bit, and I was thinking about my, my 14 um, years in, in, in ministry, all of them here, and I'm, I'm looking forward to many more years here, if you'll have me. But I was thinking about how, um, you know, my, my role as pastor, and I think one of the things that I'm proud of because it just required faithfulness is that every single week I've had a chance to, to preach over 14 years, I can honestly say every single week I've told the people gathered that Jesus is their Savior. And that's what it's all about. If that's all I did with my life, that, that, would, be, that would be enough. Um, another thing that I'm proud of that I think I've done an okay job at, that could do better, is um, helping to create a culture with all of you where empathy is huge and where we are daily trying to think of others more than we think of ourselves. A people who recognize that I'm saved because I know Jesus as my Savior, but there's people coming here that may not know Jesus, and I'm going to bend over backwards in the things that we do or the way that we do them to be cognizant of those that don't know Jesus yet. I think we've done a pretty good job at that. We need to keep our, our eye on the, on the target, though. I think the thing that I've probably not done a great job at because the, the ministry has grown quicker than my leadership ability <laughs> has been this. I think I could do a better job of equipping, mentoring, coaching God's people to take bigger, more significant leadership servitude roles. That, that I could be, as Paul wrote, a catalyst for all of you to be great, not in the light on me sense, but great in the light through me sense. And that is a passion I have right now. And it really needs to be. Because we have a whole bunch of people that are way more talented than I am, and we just need to get you in roles. We need to get you involved. And we need to get you on a weekly or bi-weekly basis in being great. Because you can be great on your own in your neighborhoods, and you need to, but in church, There is a special way when we join together to be great in a bigger way together. So that leads to my last fill-in. Next one. You can be great because I know you can serve. And I know we we all have a desire to be great in our lives. And I don't know if you're ever going to be famous, but I do know you can be great because you can serve. You know, in spite of my lack of leadership in this area, or the need to do better at least, here's why I love my church. Because we already have people rocking it out in spite of their pastor. I think of uh, Tom LeMay. You know that for two years, he went to every single service every single weekend so that guest services would start and get launched in in a good way. Like, that's a lot of listening to Ben and Matt, let me tell you. I think of Ken and Jen Schumann, who uh, I think for eight or nine years got bread every Sunday morning from Cub and brought it over before most of you were up, you 1030 people. I think of Cody Peets. He drums for us, and I had him in confirmation class. And uh, he's changed a lot. He hardly talked, and he started drumming 
many years ago, and uh, he didn't really talk much then either. And then through his volunteering and through his connecting with other Christians here, I mean, he is one of our greatest, in the Jesus sense of the word, servants. And he's only in his early 20s, way more mature than me. I think of uh, Carissa Rutz. She's had a great week. VBS is next week. I know how frustrating and how much work it can be. But in it, I, I hope that she and other people like her, more numerous than I can count, can understand that. That's what being great's all about. And there's more opportunities. I think we need about 50 more people to hit our 200 mark. And uh, I think we're going to do it. I think there's opportunities here that we can be great, not for our sake, but for the sake of the gospel. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for being great on my behalf. You served me. That is so weird. And yet, it's through that servitude to me and to us that we have hope for eternity, that we have heaven. Lord, I pray that we all allow your light to shine through us, that we recognize that we can be popular and successful, and that's okay. But greatness is found in those who serve. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.